So the title of my message is Gospel According to David and Goliath. Now let's take the time machine uh, and go back to our high school days. I know a couple of you, some of you guys are really uh, very young, and so it may not take much, right? Uh, it may still be fresh. But if you think about our, but somebody like you know me or Pastor Jay, you know, it, it's kind of like it's such a distant memory. But let's just go back to our high school years and taking world history or U.S. history class, right? What do you remember? What do you remember from those classes? Most likely some important events, right, that you have learned. You know, but the way Christians are to look at history is radically different from the way this world looks at history. This world views history as the aggregate of past events. Basically, just look at all the things that have happened, and you just, you know, sum up, sum it up, and that's history. People in their particular uh, particular time, doing what they do, given the circumstances, in their context, they do things certain way. So, in times of crisis, the heroes emerge, right? And in times of prosperity, you know, there are some, you know, not. So proud things may have happened, and there are advances, setbacks, and all these things, and how things you know, transpire from those things, from these people and events. And that's history to many people. And you know, when we look at history from this perspective, obvious, obviously, some are more monumental, right? Like the American Revolution, whoa, it's a big deal, right? Or the the Renaissance, Renaissance, right? That is, a, that is a big deal in, in terms of looking at the world history, how all those things came about. But you know, depending on your background and the culture, you can't really have different perspectives. You can't come to different conclusions. You can't have a really different assessment. It can be really, these things can be very different. Looking at the same event, but the assessment, can be very different. Uh, you know, only a couple uh, weeks ago, um, you know, the, the removal of Robert E. Lee statue in Richmond made he headline news. So um, it, it, the statue, it, it's, it's a massive, right? It's 130 ton or something like that. It's a massive, towering statue. Over, over other nearby landscapes. You cannot mistake it. As you are walking by or driving by, you cannot help but see this majestic statue that is General Robert E. Lee. Uh, and it's been there for more than 130 years. Um, but it was removed. And it was unthinkable only a couple years ago. Right. But now, the public opinion, things have changed over the last couple of years. You know, when I was growing up here in Virginia, in American history class, um, when I, what I learned is that General Robert E. Lee, he, he was a portrayed as a Southern gentleman, right? worthy of our respect and adoration. He was a man of principle. He was a brilliant uh, military tactician, right? man of integrity. That's how he was portrayed in American history class. So, um, you know, back then as a high school kid, 
I don't know how, how it is now. I'm sure it's different, right, Phil, uh, Phil, uh, Philip, you know. But uh, that's, how, that's how I learned, right? Um, so, you know, like, as a high school kid back then, I wouldn't have any issue, right, naming my son, like, Robert earnestly or something like that, right? Uh, I wouldn't put Edward because that, that was General's uh, middle name, right? So I wouldn't do that, but I would say, you know, Robert earnestly or something like that. Um, you know, because it's, it's somebody that I would look up to. That's how, that, that was my perception of him. But now it has changed completely. He's considered a leader of racist rebels, right, who wanted slavery to continue. In fact, some people would consider him a treasonous, right? They're basically all the Confederate army, whoever that was there participating in, they committed treason against the state because they decided to go against, right, the authority and the, and the states, uh, the union, right, that was, they, were, they were sworn to, to protect. You know, actually, he actually opposed racial equality for African Americans. So even in the, in the span of all these uh, few years, it, he didn't change. It's the same person. All the events took place as they have. But their opposite views are now are there. There are different assessments about him. And that's how this world looks at the history. So when it comes to history, uh, when it comes to history this world presents differing, uh, differing perspectives and assessments. But what about us as Christians? How are we to understand and view history? And what does this have to do with the story of David and Goliath? You may be thinking, okay, Pastor, I thought we were going to be talking about David and Goliath, and what are you talking about? Let me just, uh, let me just set this up so that, so that it will make more sense later on. Um, so the first thing that I want to bring out is the narrative of the Bible, the narrative of the Bible. As Christians, we understand the history is really God's redemptive history. History is not just the aggregate of past events that took place and random events that took place and different things transpired from all those things. But there is a one striking overarching theme, the common thread. It is that history is, as Christians, we are to look at it as God's redemptive history. From Genesis to Revelation, all of scriptures testify to and reveal one narrative, God redeeming his people. You know, the Bible is not interested in providing us with history of ancient world. The point is not to give us detailed accounts of world history back then, right? but rather it is to reveal God's progressive redemptive plan from the very beginning. So Genesis starts with God creating this whole universe, but immediately man falls in the Garden of Eden. Ever since then, the narrative of the Bible is God pursuing and redeeming his people. And that is history of mankind. God 
pursuing and redeeming his people. The Lord, he saves. The God of the universe calls people to himself and saves them from destruction, certain destruction. And that is the overall narrative of the Bible. The Old Testament announces and promises the one who is coming to accomplish all this, the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And the New Testament reveals who this person is in Jesus Christ. What he does, uh, and it, uh, the, Old Te- uh, the New Testament talks about, you know, and what uh, this, new, this Redeemer does, and what the implication is, you know, how we are to respond. Once this promised Messiah is revealed, what we are to do, how we are to respond to him or to what he has done. And that's what the Bible is really about. So the main point and the focus of the Bible is the revelation of God's redemptive plan and who this Redeemer is. That is the main thrust. So this is the fundamental issue when we come to and read the Word of God. The issue is to really understand and interpret the Scriptures from from this redemptive perspective because that's the overarching theme, dominant theme. We are to look at each Scripture verses, passages, through the lens of the Gospel. The Gospel tells us that the Holy God, in His mercy, provided Christ, the Son of God, who died in our place, and He paid the price for our sin. But because of His undeserving grace, through repentance and trust in Christ, now we, have, we can have the restored relationship and with, with God, and we can receive this salvation, that God would deliver us from destruction. And this gospel narrative uh, permeates the entire Bible, not just the New Testament. A lot of people think that the gospel became a thing in the New Testament, right? That the Old Testament really doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. But that is not the case. Even in the Old Testament, we see the gospel narrative because it is really all about God redeeming his people. It just didn't start in the New Testament. So when we come to a well-known passage, like today's passage, right? I mean, who does not know the story of David and Goliath, right? Even the non-Christians, right? People who may have never been to church, they know the story of David and Goliath, right? This young little kid, you know, a little punk, right? He's going up against this big dude, right? And against all odds, he succeeds and he kills this big dude off. Wow, what a, what a great, you know, inspiring story. It's a story of underdog. It's an underdog story. So even though people who have never, you know, put a, one foot in the, in the door of the church, they know or they think they know the story of David and Goliath. But how are we to understand this story in light of this gospel narrative? In light of the fact 
that God's, that this book is really about God redeeming his people. You know, often we mistakenly make this story or any other well-known stories, we make it about us. Usually, and I know like Pastor Jay yesterday was like, hey, you're not going to talk about like, you know, the David and Goliath as like, you know, like us going up against the giant, right? Uh, and just overcoming obstacles. Of course not. Right? But the thing is, usually the point of the messages that we hear is all of us face giants in our lives. Right? And um, uh, we, have, we face giants of one kind or another, but we may overcome them by being more like David. Let us be more like David. Look at David, what he has done. So, the conclusion, the point of the message usually about uh, David and Goliath is you have to have more faith, just like David. The focus is on us having bigger faith to overcome our obstacles. Yes, God is mentioned, but the person that we, uh, to, that we focus on and to emulate is David. Look at David, what he has done. Let us be like David. We immediately identify ourselves with David, and we come away with a resolve. You know what? Look at David, my man. Right? Let us, I need to be more like David. I need to have more faith. I should not be afraid of whatever the challenges, obstacles that stand in my way. Just reading, reading David and Goliath, I need to be more like David. I need to have more faith. I need to, be, uh, to face, you know, I, I, I should not be afraid. I should just work on more courage to face the giants. In the end, when we hear a message like this, or when we have an interpretation, understanding like this, in the end, really, it comes down to the main character is me, myself, and I. We immediately make the connection about when we, when we say, oh, we need to be more like David. So then, once again, the main character becomes David, and then we quickly make that, uh, shift the attention, and they say, it's about us. This is what we have to do, right? We make it about us. I need to be more like him in my faith, in my walk as a Christian. But isn't that how we interpret the Bible? Often, we often come away when we hear messages, especially when it involves Bible characters. We come away with this impression or the understanding or this resolve that, hey, I need to be more like David. I need to be more like Abraham. I need to be more like Moses. I need to be more like Daniel, Paul, what have you. Right? The focus is on me whenever we read the Bible. When we try to take away the point of the, uh, the, the passages, we make it about us. What I need to do. What I need to watch out for. What I, what I need to be careful of. Where I need to improve on. Where I need to be more disciplined on. This kind of understanding really makes the Bible all about you. And misses the main point, which is it is about Christ 
And it is about God redeeming his people. It's about what God has accomplished for us through Christ Jesus. And this is why I am uncomfortable, kind of queasy, about messages centered on Bible characters. And so I, I remember one time somebody like asked me, hey, Pastor Wooden, can we, can we do maybe like some like uh, messages on, like, uh, on Bible characters? Why don't we do a series on Bible characters? I was like, I, I hesitated and I, you know, I didn't want to go into all, all this, but I um, said, well, you know, thanks for the suggestion, but let, let, let's think about this. But you see, when we focus on these Bible passages with like really, really like aspire, inspiring Bible characters, what happens is they can, these passages and the messages can easily turn into messages about them and about us, not about Christ, not about who God is and what God has done. And when we make it about us, when we make it about these uh, inspiring Bible characters, we are doing this service by making it all about us. Oh, I need to be more like Daniel, Paul, this great you know, man of faith. I'm not saying that it is never about us. I'm not saying that, right? Of course, there are practical applications and considerations that we must think through. But the main point, main theme of the scripture, throughout scripture, is God redeeming his people. This story of David and Goliath is more than slaying the giant in our lives. Whether it is financial hardship, maybe it's um, some, you know, I want it done, like kind of demanding clients that you have at work, or a, a, a co-worker who is not really living up to his, uh, it, not doing his job, and it's making, uh, it's making you look bad, a really difficult to get along boss, problems in, in family, problems with your parents, what have you. The story of David and Goliath is not about slaying the giant in our lives. I grew up hearing many messages on David and Goliath. And just about all of them, in the end, were something along that line of slaying the giant and not being afraid of the moment. Be, uh, be courageous and just face your fear, right? And I thought, growing up, I thought that's what this story was all about. And early on, I preached the message, right? Basically the same message. That's what I heard, and that's what I thought the point of this message was, a passage was. Then I had an awakening about the gospel, and it really changed the way I would understand, changed the way I interpret Scripture. Because on, on, up until then, I would immediately, whoever that was mentioned in the Bible, I immediately just make a connection. Oh, man, look at Abraham. Look at Moses. Look at Paul. What an inspiring people. Man, I need to be more like him. I need to pray like him. I need to have faith like him. I need to, you know, just like do all these things just the way these guys did. I made it all about me. When you come to the passage, 
But when you come to, the, uh, when you come to uh, each story or the passages with a redemptive perspective, then a different narrative emerges, the gospel narrative. So my second point, the last point, is the, is the gospel according to David and Goliath, right? So that, that, that I'm just trying to set up you know, what I was trying to, the, the, the main point of this passage. So then where do you see the gospel narrative in this story? Am I trying to pull something out of thin air? Right? So let's dive in. So in this story, right, the Israel and the Philistines, they line up against each other in the Valley of Elah. And Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, challenges Israel to do likewise. Choose a man for yourselves. Come against me. Right? He's a giant, right? Supposed like almost eight, nine feet tall. I mean, he's this ginormous guy, right? He's just hardened and better since youth. I mean, there was no one like him. You know, among Israel's and neighboring countries, a duel between the champions where the outcome of the fight to death would, uh, between, between the champ, two champions is taken as the will of God, God's. So when they come together, instead of the whole army just, uh, just fighting and killing everybody, just pick one champion from each side. Let them come and fight to death. And whoever comes out on top is victorious. Right? It's like kind of, you know the movie Troy? Have you guys seen that movie Troy? Like uh, there's uh, Brad Pitt and Eric, Eric Bonner. So anyways, yeah, they, they just you know, fight to death, right? And then eventually... Achilles, uh, played by uh, Brad Pitt, wins. And they just, wow, you know, God's on our side. Let's go just, you know, just destroy uh, the Troy, uh, Trojans, right? Um, so something like this happening here. And obviously when he challenged, the, the Goliath challenged and really just defied, uh, defied God of Israel, right? The logical choice would have been Saul, since he was king, and he was supposed to represent Israel, the people of God. But he was terrified like everyone else, as we all know. And David, shepherd boy, who happens to be uh, to come, um, and he uh, sees all this and he's livid, right? And he volunteers to fight Goliath. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, right? right? Just uh, humiliating um, people and the people of God, right? And God, right? And so, but, you know, Saul is reluctant because David is so young and inexperienced. But David shows his confidence in the Lord. And so, you know, he's, they're trying to just put uh, Saul's armor on him. But, you know, he's a young guy. He's not experienced. He's like, I cannot fight in this armor and, you know, all these uh, weapons, right? So he rejects it. And his rejection of Saul's armor and weapons reinforces the narrative that is shown in verse 47. Because in verse 47, it says this, and, that all, um, and all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into, my, into our hand. What he firmly believed in the narrative of this story is the Lord saves. Not because of spears or swords, javelins, or any, any kind. The battle belongs to the Lord. And it is consistent with that redemptive 
perspective. So the, the duel takes place, and it seemed like a very uh, lopsided contest, at least to Goliath, right? And he actually felt insulted when he saw an apparently unarmed youth approaching. It is almost like, um, I mean, I got the permission so, 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 to use this uh, you know, illustration. Um, it's like, you know, uh, we, we play volleyball on Wednesdays. And like Daniel, uh, Daniel Chung, he's a stud, right? I mean, he is like, he can spike, he can block, I mean, he can serve, he, he can do everything, he can dig, and he can do everything, right? He's pro- he's, I think he's the best player that we have at our church, and, and then, and then um, you know, n- not in a really disparaging way anyway, but we have Sue on the other side, right? And can you imagine if Sue comes up to, uh, goes up to Daniel, and I, I challenge you, right? You stay right there, and um, he'll set me up, set me up. I'm going to jump over the net, and then I'm going to spike into your face, right? I mean, if, if she kind of say, she would never do that, but if she talks smack, right? I mean, Daniel would probably feel, he would be kind of insulted. What, you, you're going to actually come against me? You're going to, really? You're going to really do that, right? Um, and so, it, Dave, uh, it, it, uh, so Goliath is, is like, it's incredulous. He's like, How? you are a young little boy, right? And you don't even have any armors, right? I've been to this kind of like fight so many times, and you come against me with a stick and a sling and a stone, Right? So it seemed like a really lopsided contest, but there is more to this battle than meets the eye. It really was a lopsided contest, not because Goliath was the most feared warrior, but because David's God was in control and the battle belonged to him. And so David declares he comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, it comes by the authority and power of God. And as, we, as he said in verse 47, that's when he said, And all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. The Lord saves is the motto of the whole Bible. And David does not simply mean his own salvation from death but the deliverance of Israel from Philistine domination. The gospel narrative, there, so once again, you may say, so where is the gospel narrative here? The gospel narrative becomes evident when we consider that David is a type of Christ. In other words, David foreshadows Christ. David prefigures Jesus Christ. Jesus is the better and greater David. What David has done here, what David shows, is a a shadow of what is to really come. When David went out into the battle as one man representing Israel, fighting for the fate of Israel, I mean, talk about the weight on his shoulder. He represent, he represented Israel, the champion that was to fight the enemy. It is foreshadowing of Christ. 
in that as one God-man, as God, Son of God, becoming flesh, and as one God-man, Jesus went into the spiritual battle representing people of God who were to be redeemed. He went into the battle fighting Satan. Goliath here illustrates Satan in his pride and power, the champion of God's enemies. The gospel tells us that the champion of God, God's people, Jesus Christ, overcomes the enemy, the formidable enemy. And with his decisive victory over Satan, Christ wins the war once and for all. All of us were powerless against the enemy of God and were crushed under the weight of, weight of our own sin. Just as the Israelites were terrified and powerless against Goliath when Jesus came out and calling for a man, even their own king was afraid. Everybody's heart melted like water. They were so afraid. There is no way we can, any one of us can go out there and fight him one-on-one. No chance. We have no hope. The story of David and Goliath is the gospel narrative really being played out. What David won that day was a temporary victory. One day's victory for David when he killed Goliath. And Israel, as they were all charged up, yes, you know, God is on our side. Look at David. And they just went after uh, the Philistines and they defeated him. It was a huge victory. But that didn't really completely wipe out the Philistines. They came back. It was a temporary victory. What Christ has won is for all eternity. He secured for us our salvation for all eternity. What we have to understand is that we don't fight for victory because victory was already won by Christ Jesus. Oftentimes, we think that we have to win this battle on our own. We have to win a victory on our own. I have to pray hard. I have to uh, do my quiet time more. Uh, I have to do this and I have to do that so that I may be victorious. No, the victory was won already at the cross. Christ took on our sin. He became our champion. He became our representative. What he has accomplished for those of us who trust in him, that has become ours. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 Do we have that? Yeah, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven forgiven us all our trespasses uh, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He uh, disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Talking about the victory 
what Christ, what God has accomplished, what the Father has accomplished for us through Christ, His Son. He has won. He triumphed, triumphed over, over all, against all odds. See, what we have to understand is that we fight from victory. We fight with victory that Christ has won for us. We don't fight for victory. So often, we don't recognize this truth, the gospel. Christ has won for us. We don't have to try to just fight. I mean, of course, in our daily grind and daily struggles, there are times we stumble and fall. But ultimately, the war, the result, has been already given to us. He won the victory for us. And yet, so many of us live each day as if we are, oh, I'm just undone. I, woe is me. I am defeated. Oh, does, does God love me? Do I, why is this, am I really a Christian? Does God really love me? Does God care about me? And we have this defeatist mindset. That is not to be. And that's what the gospel tells us. Having been severed from God because of our sin. But Christ came as our champion. And through the cross and resurrection, Jesus defeated the dominion of death and triumphed over Satan and sin. What, God, what David did that day was foreshadowing of what was to come. And this is the gospel according to David and Goliath. And this is the main point of this passage. Facing our giant in our lives is secondary. I'm not saying that we should never, oh, you should never just talk about it. That is not the point. No, I'm saying that is only secondary. But the main point, how we are to understand this passage, is to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. Because David foreshadows Christ. What David has done, Christ has done it you know, so much greater, greater way. What David has done is very in limited scope, physical. But what Christ has done, far greater, far reaching in a spiritual way, giving us salvation and deliverance, God redeeming us. That is the point. That is the gospel, according to David and Goliath. May we worship and praise Christ for his work and the victory he has won for us. Let us not walk around saying, well, you know, I am defeated. You know, it's, I am no good for anything. Christ has already won the victory. He won the battle for us. Now we fight as soldiers of Christ, knowing that he has already won the victory. Of course, in our daily lives, we're going to face challenges, struggle, we fall, fail, fall flat on our face oftentimes. But once again, knowing that Christ has won for us, we can once again come back up Stand up again and with the power that the Holy Spirit provides for us. We go, get, go up against the enemy. We fight against the sinful behaviors 
tendencies that we have and never lose hope. And that is the hope that we have through Christ. That is the gospel for us. Let's pray. Precious Father, we uh, turn to you uh, at this time. Lord, it's easy for us to lose sight of the gospel. Oftentimes we think the gospel is only for the un, uh, non-Christians, that it doesn't really apply to us. But how wrong that thought is. The gospel is for all people, Christian or not. Lord, remind us of what you have done for us, how you are still at work trying to reach and redeem the people, saving people, calling people to yourself so that our relationship, broken relationship, the severed relationship may be, may be restored, that we would have the reconciliation, that we would have peace with God. And so, Lord, as we approach your word, help us, Lord, that we're not make it simply about us, me, myself, and I. But primarily, Lord, your word was given to us to reveal yourself, your son, and your redemptive purposes and how you're uh, working it out in our daily lives. Father, we confess that we fall short, we stumble so often daily, Remind us, Lord, when we truly uh, believe the gospel, that we know that we have, we are, uh, the victory has been already secured for us. Christ won the victory for us. That we don't fight for victory, but we fight from victory. And we go into the battle, spiritual battle, each day, knowing that victory has already been won, that we fight with victory with Christ on our side. Give us hope. Give us right perspective so that we will not give in to the lies of the, the enemy telling us that we are defeated people. Allow us to rise again by the power of the Holy Spirit and fight the good fight and finish the race reminding ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ all the time. So renew our hearts, renew our strength, renew our love for you so that we may continue to engage in this spiritual battle, not giving up, not losing hope, but continuously trusting in you, loving you, hoping in you, so enable us and empower us. And we thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.